Our topic tonight is strength for the journey. Pastor Murray and I will be working through the book of Nehemiah, and uh, you know, <clears throat> the, Lord, the Lord really really spoke to me about this book, uh, about what's in this book, and about uh, uh, what we need. Any others that didn't get uh, notes tonight? Down here, praise God. Amen, everyone got one. We're ready to go, we're ready to go. The Lord really um, shared with me about how people are going through difficult times and you know, the, the division in our country, the hatred and animosity. If you don't like something, you just go burn down the business. You just go, you know, hurl insults at our policemen and on and on. I mean, it's, it's really amazing what's going on. And uh, what we need to do is realize that God wants to heal people's hearts. Did you hear me? God wants to heal people's hearts. But you know what also we're going to find out? There's going to be a bigger separation between those that walk with God and those that don't. You're going to see not just everyone looking the same. You're going to see whoosh, the Medes and the Persians. You're going to see, you know, weeds and versus flowers. And, and we're in for a real ride here. You remember the, the Apostle Paul said in the last times, perilous times will come. If you look at that word perilous, it means the worst of times. And um, I don't know that I've ever seen things like this. I mean, I, I grew up in Chicago where in 1969 they were shooting cops from the high-rise stories, story buildings, and, and uh, I was doing delivery work for a printing company that my father worked at for, for a number of years. And my assignment, because nobody else in the company would do it, this is before the age of Internet where they would zip, you know, your reports to you. Uh, electronically, we had to deliver hard copy. And we had to go, I had to go to the south side of Chicago. That was my route. And none of the other delivery men for the company would go because they were, they figured, let's send the kid down there. Someone's going to kill him. It won't matter too bad. So we went, praise God. I'll never forget coming out of a, uh, uh, I was, I had stopped my car and I was going around the, the uh, 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 a uh, rounded building there, and uh, it was a Walgreens drugstore, and I came out of that building. You know, it, I was like 19 or 20 years old, and this, this lady comes out of the Walgreens, and, and with a little black baby, she says, here, take my kid. And she hands me this baby, and I go, what? What are you talking about? She said, I, can't, I don't want this baby, and you could give it a better life than I could. And it was desperate times, and I was not qualified to know how to change even a diaper. And still, I got fired from diaper changing several times over the course of our children. But I said, I'm sorry, ma'am, I can't do that, you know. And uh, we're in desperate times of tonight, and God is with us. He's going to help us. I'm going to uh, get into our, our time together in the Word. I, don't want us, I want us to be able to have some time praying together at the end. But um, did you bring your Bible? Pastor Aaron brought his Bible. I'm so thankful that we got two of us in the house that have a... Bonnie brought a Bible. Praise God. You have it on your device. Oh, look at all those Bibles. Praise God. <laughs> this one here sometimes doesn't hear everything it's supposed to. Anyway, I'm in Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekaniah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, when I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant 
that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Sound like any time you've ever heard of? Maybe it's times like we know right now. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then he recites the prayer that he prayed, and we'll get into that. There are 17 historical books in the Bible, and most, most recent, closer to our time, would be Ezra, Esther, and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah are divided into parts. In Ezra, the first six chapters deal with rebuilding the temple. The last four chapters deal with restoration of worship. Sixty years has lapsed between the first six chapters now and the last four chapters. And in those 60 years, Esther is written. And when the preservation, you remember she said, if I perish, I perish. I've been born for such a time as this. And she goes and intercedes for the Jewish people. You remember that beautiful story, historical story. The Jewish remnant, the Jewish, Jewish nation, and their ability to stay alive is at stake. And in Nehemiah, we come to the first six chapters, which have to do with the reconstruction of the walls of Jerusalem, and the last seven chapters deal with the reinstruction, people being reinformed and recalibrated so they understand what it means to be people of God. And we'll get into some of that as we go. Now, Ezra, many have said, was probably the writer or the copier of the notes of Nehemiah. We know that Ezra and Nehemiah were written by the same person. <clears throat> so by way of history, the Jewish people had been taken into captivity for 70 years in a place called Babylon, and modern-day Iran or Iraq in that area. But in the year 530, 530 B.C., the power of the Babylonian Empire is broken by the power of the Persian Empire. And then the king of Persia, in a, in a most bizarre moment, says, why don't you Jewish people go on back where you belong? Quite an amazing thing is happening now. So immediately, the Bible tells us that 50,000 returned to Jerusalem just like that to begin rebuilding the walls. Now, they became discouraged by the people who had settled in Jerusalem while they were away. And now there's people from all kinds of different tribes and different kind of ethnicities, and it's not the kind of thing that they were used to, where all the people are alike and they all hold the same values, and now it's kind of like today. In, in, in Jerusalem, if you go there, there's quarters, different areas, the Christian quarter, the Muslim quarter, and the Jewish quarter, and so forth. And uh, so after the foundation was completed, the Bible makes it clear that they all quit. They finish the foundation, they go, I'm done. You know, no one's appreciating me like they should. No one is uh, being aware of the great sacrifice we're making, so I'm done. So 16 years goes by, and the people have now settled into their own homes, and they have places that they feel safe. God now anoints two men, Haggai and Zechariah, who prophesy to the people of God, say, how can you let the house of God, how can you let my place, my city, be in disrepair, and you've only taken care of your own house. Challenged the people regarding their faith and pointed them 
out for their neglect of the things of the Spirit and the fatigue that they were experiencing. Great things of God are usually done by tired people. You'll find that out to be true. So the people rose up and they began to build at the voice of God coming through these two men. And within 20 years, the people had completed the temple. Now, 60 years now goes by after the temple's been restored, and more Jews now are returning to Jerusalem, and they're led by a man named Ezra. It's the year 458 B.C. Now, the spiritual state of Israel was deplorable. They were angry. They were defiant. They were not spiritual. It's been 90 years since the first group has come back, and their spiritual decay like history has never seen before. And the walls of Jerusalem are desolate. The gates uh, are not there. They've all been destroyed. And as a result of their spiritual apathy, the people are living in appalling condition of shame, and they're under affliction. Now, all I could tell you is what I've just stated historically is a, re- is a recipe for incredible hopelessness. Wouldn't you agree? And in 445 B.C., God spoke to Nehemiah, and that brings us into this chapter, chapter, chap, chapter 1 of Nehemiah. And he prepared him to begin rebuilding the walls and the gates. It was a layman. It was an ordinary man that did this great work. We need men like Nehemiah or women like Nehemiah who became governor of Judah in 444 because he was bold enough to stand up and say, we can't let this thing stay like it is. We got to do something. And many times in God's work, it takes even one person to rise up and say, we have got to have a different thing happening here than we're currently seeing. God, God has called us for bigger things than this. And it brings me to the start of my outline tonight. Let's talk first of all about the challenge that we face. The challenge that we face. The challenge we face is built like walls. We've got walls in our lives. Many times people won't let, won't let the Spirit of God touch them because they've got their own defenses, they've got their plans, they've got their, their ideas of what they're going to permit God to do. There, there's a wall that must be built around our soul to protect us from carnality and from division and from compromise. But there's a wall that must be built around the church to protect the people of God, to make them passionate about the right things. Won't you agree with that? Here's a couple things I know. There's no winning without warfare. There'll be a fight for every inch we take for God in this city, in this region, in our nation. It'll happen only with a fight. I'm not talking about getting out there like I saw a football player today. (laughs) He came up and and started pounding a guy in the head with his fist. And I thought, that's pretty stupid. That guy's wearing a helmet. Why would you do that? Anyway, just one of the problems I face being a Bears fan. Anyway, there is, in addition, there's no opportunity that will ever come without opposition. There will be opposition to every door that God opens for you. And there will be no victory without vigilance. We must wrap ourselves in the word of God and in the presence of God and say, I expect 
that my my standing for for Jesus is going to cause a fight with some people. I get mail on a regular basis from people that don't like what we're doing here in this church. And if there's no vigilance, we're not going to see any victory. You can't be discouraged by what people say in the community. Pastor Aaron, you just said it right. We're, we're, We're seeking to please an audience of one. If you live to please the people, you'll never be happy because there'll be the group will change every now and again and there'll be a different voice and a different idea. We've got to live for, for him. Amen. We're living for the Lord. Whenever God's people say, let us arise and build like Nehemiah did, the devil says, let me arise and oppose you. And we're not concerned about what he says or does because the one that's in us, 1 John 4, 4, is greater than he that is against us. So we have walls in our lives, but we must will to do what is right, just like Nehemiah's people did. Nehemiah was in high position in the, in the uh, province of the king of Persia, but he was concerned more about God's work than he was about Persia's work or standing. I'm concerned that we get more concerned about our social issues around us than we do about God's kingdom work. I don't know that I have time to unpack what I just said to you, but I wanna just ask you, how important is God's work to you? When I say God's work, God's work will start tomorrow morning when we feed people driving up on the street corner here in this church. That's God's work. But sometimes people get so wrapped up in doing certain things in the community, they forget that we're in the kingdom business. We are, so, we are a soul-saving station. And if we're not leading people to Christ, what are we doing? We must constantly lift Jesus higher to those all around us. Amen? In our day, it's easy to feel like there's nothing we can do to change the circumstances around us. That is false thinking. God put us here. God put this church here for a reason. This church is here as a landmark to the glory of God, as a soul-saving station, as a place where people can find hope and restoration, where people can be healed and delivered from habits and the chains of the devil. So we must will to do what's right. Now notice, in Nehemiah says, the remnant came, in verse one and two, the remnant that had survived the exile was there in Jerusalem. And they said to me, verse 3, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Is there anything more disgraceful than a person being bound by Satan? Our city is full of them. And we had better take notice. And instead of saying there's nothing can be done, we should make change as often and as able as we can by offering hope to one and to the next one and to the next one. It was not a pretty report. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah had heard the reports of Jerusalem even though he wasn't in the area. But that was his city, that was his people, that was, that was the, the place where God had shown again and again historically to 
to, to make the difference for his people. Now the doors were burned with fire. At a moment like that, when you hear a negative report, you go, well, I'll just put you on my prayer list and I'll try and think about you occasionally. I'm glad Nehemiah didn't do that. He knew God's will regarding the the people of God and he knew how far the people were from pleasing the Lord, which leads me to another point. We must learn to prepare for a move of God. We must be in preparation for a move of God. Nehemiah 1.4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For many days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He didn't throw up a prayer. He spent time on his face before God. He fasted and prayed for many days. He wept as, as he understood the situation, how grave it was of Israel. You and I deal with the truth that Nehemiah did. He sat down and wept and prayed and fasted. Notice he did it before the God of heaven. Verse 4 says, before the God of heaven. You can't lighten the load until you feel the pressure in your own soul that something must be done and something can be done and I'm the one who can make a difference. We're all speaking that way. I'm not speaking alone now. Let God show you things as they really are. Do we walk through our city? Do we drive through our city and say, oh God, Bring us revival. Oh, God, bring us a a, a restoration in our city. Let broken people come to Christ. Let us be about your business. We must see the ruin of lives, the residue of satanic opposition on every corner and say we can make a difference. How did Nehemiah make a difference? He fasted and prayed and sought the Lord. We need to know what God's answer is for us and our level of involvement. We must learn how to weep and mourn over the broken hearts around us. Get alone with God and cry out in prayer. One of our great burdens is dealing with the indifference of God's people. Pastor, I'm so busy. I've got family members in the hospital. I've got loved ones who are sick. We have financial difficulties. We, our kids are away. You know, we got this and that. Let me just remind you, Nehemiah, you can relate to what Nehemiah was doing. He wasn't even in this city. Walls should be for salvation and gates should be for praise, we read in Nehemiah. We'll go to verse 5. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess, he's taking ownership for the nation now. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly against you, verse 7, and we have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you 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 gave your servant Moses. Does the wall that separates us from a life of carnality and indifference, does that need to be rebuilt within us? Where we just say, well, I don't care. There's so many things I've got my mind on and and we don't have any real focus. Does it lie in tragic ruin, our ability to be touched with the feelings of what people are going through? 
Are we living in any kind of degree of carnality as we consider what God's word says about the people of Israel who were just, what will be, will be. There can be no blessing unless we see the parallel here. Are certain areas of our spiritual life lying in ruin tonight? Nehemiah set the example on his face before God, praying, fasting, pleading with God for several days. Our testimony before the world is that we are not afraid. We are not afraid to preach the gospel. We are not afraid to stand up for Christ. We are not afraid. We are not intimidated. And we are not indifferent. We're not looking the other way. We're going to pray. We're going to believe God. Now notice, that's the challenge we face. But notice, secondly tonight, the courage we need. The courage we need. You and I are inadequate in ourselves to do the work. The burden of ministry is a heavy burden. You can go away on a vacation. You can spend time in another country. You can sit under a palm tree. But the burden of ministry never, never, never leaves you. And if you and I feel like we're adequate in ourselves to break shackles off people and to set people free and to bring people into a place where they can have hope again, I want to remind you that we are inadequate in our own skin to do that. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit flowing in us and, and, and uh, uh, making the, all the difference. When God calls a person to work, the first thing he shows them is his, that person's inadequacy, his insufficiency to do the work. In verse 5, Nehemiah said, I'm depending on the God of heaven versus the king of Persia. Our confession, he makes, is that our problems have come because we have not depended upon you. In verse 8, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you aren't faithful, I will scatter you among the nations. He reminds the, the Lord of his covenant with Israel. He goes back hundreds of years and reminds the Lord. I want to remind you that God has not forgotten what he said. But you remember he said, put you in remembrance of me. I want you to remind me of what I've said. How God gave deliverance from Egypt. He goes on and recites the historical thing, how that God protected the people of God when they put the blood over the doorpost. When the death angel came through, not one of them, not one of them that was people of God experienced the same thing that the Egyptians experienced. Even Pharaoh himself lost his firstborn. And he reminds them how God sustained them through Canaan's journey for all those years, providing breakfast in the morning, fire at night, cloud over, over them during the day. I don't know about you, but I know that I'm inadequate to make things like that happen. So we need to find the strength of God in prayer. We need to find the strength of God in prayer we, know we need to go back to the place of dependence upon God, ground our, par- our prayers upon the cross, and thank God for what he's done, and worship him. <clears throat> we sang a song tonight, How Marvelous. We sang the chorus, but the greatest part of that song is one of the verses. 
He took my grief and my sorrow. He took my sin and my sorrow and made them his very own. He bore my burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Who would do that for you? Jesus. We need to go back to the fact of an empty tomb and what that means for all of us. The power of the upper room. We need to go back to the basics. We need to remind ourselves like Nehemiah did. God, you're not done with us. What are most of the prayers we hear today? Would you bless us, Lord? Would you help us? Would you protect us? Real prayer is warfare. You spirit of darkness, we rebuke you in this city. We rebuke your work in this, on the streets of our city. We come against you in the, main, in the name of Jesus. Real prayer is anchored to the promises of God. Now notice with me, Nehemiah's prayer was answered. Let me say it a little louder. Nehemiah's prayer was answered. He based his prayer on God's purposes, not his own, and upon God's promises, This is where the strength is. When we bank our promises on God's promises, when we come to God in prayer, calling on him for his promises and his plans, amen. Some of you are going through incredible challenges and you don't know how you're gonna come out of those challenges. I want to, as I close tonight, think with you about four forces that will shorten your time of struggle, that will shorten your time of struggle. Biblical truth tonight. First of all, let's consider our speaking, our speaking. Do you ever let something slip from your mouth and go, looks like we're never coming out of this. Looks like one bill comes after the next from every direction. How in the world could this happen? Looks like we'll never come out. Looks like we'll never have a breakthrough. Looks like there's a cloud over us. Put your hand over your mouth when you get ready to speak like that, the Bible says. And don't talk that way. Don't speak those things. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. God is going to make a way for us. He's made a covenant with us that the darker the night, the greater, the brighter his light will shine. I need to understand the power of my words. I need to understand the power of my singing. I was trying to remember it this morning, and I couldn't get it out in time for the message. Any of you remember the, the, the old show called Hee Haw? Just because I'm looking over here, don't, please don't take that personal. I mean, I talked about the Constitution this morning, and I didn't even include you in that. You know, the writers of the Constitution. Anyway, praise God, Pastor Bill. Doom and gloom, agony on me, deep, dark depression. You got it. You understand. The song of, that was the number one show in America for so long, every Saturday night or whatever night it was. We used to see a few minutes of it because our children loved to watch The Muppet Show. My favorite character was Oscar the Grouch. How in the world could that guy be so grouchy about so many things? Anyway, 
How did I get into that? The songs of the, the, songs of the day are sad songs, aren't they? I hope you're not listening to pop songs, but if you are, listen to what the songs, the message of the song, and you'll be convicted. You know, God has ordained worship. You know, if you took all those sad songs about she left with the pickup truck and now <laughs> the dog, please send the dog back. I don't care about the truck, you know. But well, instead of listening to all those sad songs, why don't you put on some praise music? Why don't you worship Jesus? Why don't you give God some glory? And if you're upset with me, um, send me a letter. Send me a letter. Make it legible this time if you don't mind. Praise God. Now, Psalm chapter 8, verse 1. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Another version says you've ordained praise to shut the devil up. You know, when you magnify Jesus, the devil, he doesn't want to ride in your car. He doesn't want to stay in your house. Praise God. I hope you get the point, or do I need to massage that a little more? I don't know any country songs, you know, and I'm sorry I don't know anymore, but then I've what I've told you. Praise God. <laughs> anyway, we used to have a pastor here whose wife was nuts about country music, and I teased all the time, and I, I feel really convicted that I probably shouldn't have done it quite like that. But praise God anyway, we're, <laughs> we're moving on. Here's the third thing we need to really concern ourselves with, and that's our praying. You pray right, your time of struggle will be shortened. Matthew 18, 18, and 19. I hope you know this verse. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Do you know what that means? The word bind means to be declared unlawful. Whatever you declare unlawful on earth is declared unlawful in the spirit realm. That's not heaven now. It's the realm where the devil works. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in that same realm. And again, I say to you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they shall ask for, it shall be done for them by my Father in heaven. I wonder what would happen if God's people learned how to declare something as unlawful. I want to see God's people rise up strong in unity and power. There's been all kinds of things that have tried to divide the house of God, the people of God. What stripe are you? What color are you? Are you red or blue? And all of that. Come on. We have a loyalty to a higher calling than a Democratic or Republican agenda. We are people of God, and we understand. And finally, I want to just remind you that your giving, your giving puts a line in the sand that the enemy can't alter. Gifts open the way for the giver, the Bible says. Here's Malachi 3, 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it and I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Tonight, as I close this first chapter, God, give us hearts that bleed, not tough hearts, hearts that feel the burden. God, give us eyes to see what you see about people who are broken. Give us minds to interpret God's purposes. Give us the will to be obedient, to do what God calls us to do. And God, give us determination that is needed for unflinching loyalty to your kingdom. It's an amazing scripture in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. Now notice, is it possible that if you take the reverse of that scripture, the one who is not victorious will be that, won't be dressed in white? And their name, some people have got it in their mind that you can, you can just live like the devil and God's looking the other way. I just want to remind you, you won't find that in the Bible. You might find it in your own version, the book of Second Opinions, but in this book... In this book, you'll find that God's calling for declaration of lordship of Jesus to his principles and power. The one who is victorious, verse 12 says, I'll make them a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Verse 21, to the one who is victorious... I will give them the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father on his throne. Glory to Jesus forevermore. Overcomers are the ones who are convinced that the one who is in us is greater than he that is against us. Nehemiah rose up and inspired people to come and make a difference. As we go through this, the first few chapters of the book of Nehemiah, you'll find that God touched this man and inspired other people through him to rise up and take their place in leadership and to make a difference. I don't know about you, but when I read books like Nehemiah, I go, man, I want to I be involved in that great work. Seeing what God sees about his temple, about his church, and making the difference so that sloppy indifference to the things of the Spirit is not known among us. But there's a love for Jesus, a passion for his kingdom that astounds people that are not living like we, we want to live and we, we're called to live. And the result of that is, you know, you start a little fire, it's going to spread. May God help us. My, uh, <clears throat> my grandfather uh, emigrated to America from Sweden when he was a young man in his early 20s. 
And he had come out of the Pentecostal move of God in Stockholm, the great Philadelphia church there. And he came to America and sought to establish a Philadelphia church in Chicago where he emigrated to. Came as a single man, went back later to uh, retrieve his girlfriend and make her his wife and all of that, my grandmother, Esther. They, uh, they weren't ready for Pentecost in that part of Chicago. And he would tell stories about what people did to try and stop them from building the church. And how when they would come out of church after worshiping the Lord, people were standing there with eggs and they would hurl the eggs at the people of the leadership of the church and trying to discourage them. Um, put holes in the tires of the cars and so forth. And we haven't had those kind of events here. But I want to tell you there's opposition to spirit-filled church work in our world today. And you and I maybe have not experienced it on the front lines. But God's people praying, calling on the Spirit of God to help us rise up and be strong in the Lord is what we need. Instead of cowering and saying, I'd be afraid to say anything to anybody if they should serve God or not. What if you're the last person to meet that person before they meet Jesus? Would you want to be the person who points them to Christ? Nehemiah had it in his heart to make a difference, and so must we. Let's stand together in the presence of the Lord. Now, Father, I want to thank you that the power of God flowing in us is a force that is unstoppable all over this world. I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are greater. You are more mighty. Your word is true. People touched by the Spirit's power make them a group that can accomplish incredible exploits. May you touch us afresh tonight here in your presence. May you touch us tonight. We are hungry for you. We are hungry for more of you. Is there anyone here among us who has not received Jesus yet or you're away from Christ tonight? Just raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to give my heart to Christ tonight. You're away from Jesus. This is this maybe, you know, if this was your only time to be here, that's great. We want to just make it possible for anyone to come to Christ. Anybody? Everyone here is a Christ follower. I'm going to just ask you tonight. If we could just take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, would you touch me fresh tonight? Would you pour your spirit out on me in a fresh new way to make me the kind of person, to make me the kind of testimony testimony that would be um, hard for anyone to look away from? That the power of God would flow in me. Lord, the Holy Spirit's presence is to make us witnesses. So tonight, could we just together for a few moments all over this place. If you, if you desire a fresh touch of the Spirit of God, make an altar where you are right there and just say, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to touch me fresh. Instead of being like Nehemiah, he could have just looked the other way. 
But he said, oh, no, I want to do something. And he wept when he saw the condition. Holy Spirit, would you just touch us? And I want to just tell you, if you'll just worship God tonight, just lift your voice and worship him. Lift your voice and magnify him. We just pray together. Holy Spirit, fill anyone in this house that has not yet received your Holy Spirit in filling. Fill anyone here tonight who is yet to receive it. We know there's one baptism, but there's many refillings. Would you just refill all of us tonight in a fresh way and just open your mouth even now as we stand in his presence and just magnify him. Glory, glory, glory. We cry out to you tonight. Refill us tonight. Refill us. Refill us afresh with your Spirit's power. The challenges exceed our ability to deal with, but there's no problem for your Spirit in us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory, glory to your name. You are the baptizer. Fill us fresh, Lord Jesus. Fill us fresh with your power tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We need more of you tonight, Lord. More of your presence in us. More of your greatness. More of your glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 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 What are you singing? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Go ahead. Open my eyes, Thank you, Jesus. We want to see Jesus. To reach out and touch Him. And to say that we love you. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to Take the blinders off our eyes tonight, Lord Jesus. Take the muzzle off of our ears so that we don't lose track of what the cries of the people and bondage around us. May we have a spirit of compassion. The work that Nehemiah did was because of your mercy flowing in him. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. Help us tonight, Lord. Help us tonight, Lord Jesus, to be the kind of people that will honor you with our words, with our thoughts, with our attitudes. When you come, Lord Jesus, and you could come this week for sure, we don't want to be standing watching other people work in your harvest. We want to be the ones who are in the harvest fields working. Send people across our path this week that you want us to speak to. Tell us what to say. Tell us how to respond. Thank you, Lord, for making us mindful, Lord God, that we may be the only one, we may be the only Christian that person ever meets. May we be wise. Thank you, Lord.